For tonight, we're going to be looking at Esther. And before we dive deep into that, I wanted to... Um, whoa, I'm on my last slide. Hang on, let's go backwards. Don't peek. This isn't good. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was there until the last second. All right, so again, we're going to be in Esther. <laughs> so Esther takes place during the Medo-Persian era, and this is right after Babylon has taken the Jews captive, and Babylon falls, and Medo-Persia takes over. So this is the second world empire. We have a couple more to follow later on. But this is, um, Esther takes place 70 years after Babylonian ta- captivity. Some of the people went back to rebuild Israel. Most of these people were from the tribe of Judah, and a few people were from the tribe of Benjamin. This book is actually kind of interesting because it's gone over scrutiny before it got into the canon because of it doesn't mention God anywhere in the text, actually. So people are trying to decide whether or not they keep in the text or keep it out. But it's very evident when you read through the book of Esther that God's hand is throughout the entire thing. And that's something that I really appreciate, too, because in our lives, I feel like you, so there's moments when you can definitely see God's hand in your life, like brightest day, like it, you can see God working. But then there's other times where you don't know God's working until 10, 20 years down the road, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I remember that. And God, I was in this time, and then you can clearly see God's hand in it. So the book of Esther is really nice in that regard, and I really appreciate it, too. So for today's text, we're going to be looking at Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So why don't we go ahead and turn there, and then for, as traditional here in Calvary Chapel, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. All right. So, Esther 4, 13 through 17. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether, have, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews be, to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I, my young women, will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I just pray tonight that as we go through the book of Esther, specifically this chapter and these verses, that um, you'll just bless this time that we have together and that you will speak through me and um, any of my words will perish, but all your words will stay strong. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so before we dive deep into our text, I wanted to give a little background on the book of Esther as a whole. Um, it's one that doesn't come up all the time, and also I always have to go through it once in a while because I've only seen the Veggie Tales a few times, and I want to also go through it <laughs> as a whole, as a general. So we're going to go through chapters one through two first, just a quick overview, and then we're going to dive deep into what we have tonight. So in chapters one and two, on the first one, we start going to open up with um, who's ruling this time. So at this time, we have a king called King Ahasuerus, and he's ruling in um, Persia. And in chapter 1, we start out in verse 10, and we read that on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bestha, Harbana, Bigtha, and Abigtha, Zether, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her loyal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty. For she was lovely to look at, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this time, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. So because of this refusal of the queen, Vashti not coming forth when the king requested, they, 
the king was very angry at this and had to go talk to his councilman to figure out what the punishment was going to be. Because it would never be right for it to be leaked out of the kingdom that the queen, of all people, refused the king's order. I mean, for the whole kingdom, that was set of precedents. There would be rioting, uproars, who knows? So as soon as this happened and in the king's fiery state, he goes to his councilman, and the conclusion was that Vashti would be released from her queen as, um, role as queen and then banished. And he's told that in verse 19. So... Continuing on, we're going to look at chapter 2 real quick. And it says that after these things, when the anger of the king and Esther's had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what she had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the providence of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. And let the young woman who pleased the king be queen instead of Ashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jar, son of Shimi, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. I know that's a lot of scriptures to go through as we're catching up to see what the book of Esther is, or this piece in Esther that I want to talk about tonight. But to sum it all up, the king of the time, Ahasuerus, drunk, decides to show his wealth and power to the people at his party and requests Vashti to come forward to further that. Vashti refuses to come forward and is banished for it. When the king is sobered up, he realizes what he has done and the decreed and makes basically a beauty contest to find the next queen. So the king finds favor in Queen Esther, or not yet Queen Esther, but he finds favor in Esther when he rounds up all the, to figure out who's going to be the next queen. And we are told that Esther later on finds um, favor in him. And this is probably going to, this contest probably happened for a long time. In fact, we're told in scriptures that it took about 12 months for all the cosmetics and everything to whatever they did. Lots of bathing in myrrh and spices and stuff like that. Sounds like a, yeah, it sounds like a pain, honestly. But it basically took a long period of time for them to say. So about three years took place, give or take, before Esther was given to the king and the king chose Esther. But we are told that in scriptures that Esther was loved more than all the other women as she found um, favor and grace inside of the king. So moving on to chapter three. Now as the things were looking good for Esther were introduced in this chapter that a man named Haman uh, has been promoted in through the kingdom. And then we know in verse one, it says, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman Agite, the son of Hamaditha, and advanced him and set his throne above the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. When the king's servants were at the king's gate, said Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained and laid hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, through the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So here Haman is introduced into the picture. Esther, everything is going well for her. She got thrown into a huge predicament, but God has been with her, and now she is queen of the whole country. But Haman rises up, and he's put above all the officials. And the king decrees that everyone should bow down to Haman, pay homage. 
but Mordecai does not. Mordecai doesn't bow anyone, and he's solid in that, and only bowing before God. When Haman becomes aware of this, he seeks to kill Mordecai for not obeying the godlike authority that he had been given. But Haman would not tarnish himself with such a murder, so he just sought to destroy the whole people groups, most likely also fearing a group of Mordecais are also instructing him. Now, there isn't, much known, there isn't much that we know about Haman besides what is here laid in the text. Also, the only thing we know is that he was an Agite. Jewish tradition and most scholars consider him to be a descendant of the Amalek king, Agog, who was spared in 1 Samuel 15. And that was when God was commanding Saul, who was king at the time, to wipe out certain people groups. Saul spared a king of the Amalekites, and most people believe that this is the same king to this day. But regardless, um, Haman sees seeing Mordecai not paying homage or bow down to him resulted in seeing Mordecai as a potential threat to his position with the king. So, with all that backstory of kind of what's going on in Esther, we're going to go into the text that we talked about earlier. Now, after all these things are taking place, and Haman is plotting against to kill Mordecai and all the Jews, uh, Mordecai learns of this, and he sends word to Esther in verse 11 of chapter 4, and says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one who the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. So Esther, in responding to all this, is fearing for her life. She has one command, essentially, as being queen. You don't come to the king's court unless you are called to it. And she, rightfully so, she saw what happened. She's heard the rumors by now, what happened to the previous queen before her. If the previous queen got banished while the king was drunk, what more could he do while he's sober? So she kind of takes to look for a back seat or figure out if there's another alternative to take care of this plot that's happening to her people. But Mordecai responds in a way that is helpful because it speaks to my heart as well because it's like a bash on the head at the same time an encouragement. Let's see what Mordecai says. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish. And who will know whether, the, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He recognizes and knows that Esther is what well, Esther is going against. Mordecai has been watching her and caring for her, even in the time that she was being put into the beauty pageant that the king set forth. Mordecai's faith alone here is admiral, knowing that regardless of what happens, God will bring a deliverer, and he believes in that. But he wants to encourage Esther that this is a time for you now. And that's what I think is so beautiful about this. And who knows whether you have not come to a kingdom for such a time as this. Esther was to be a part of God's plan, or she could choose safely and miss the true safety of whom we find actual peace. And this is a hard thing that I grapple with at times too. When the Lord calls me to do something and I get scared, I don't want to deal with it and I look for a safety route. And it's hard to think for me. And Satan whispers in my mind and puts lies in my heart to stop what I want getting called to do but it's something that, is, uh, that everyone has to deal with in their lives. When God calls you to do something, no matter how scared it is, it, you have to do it. And being up here and teaching is one of those scared things I'm scared of. <laughs> and here I am doing it. <laughs> so it's one of those things. So then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold them on fast on my behalf. And do not eat anything or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to perish to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. 
I love Vesper's reply in this because she realizes what Mordecai was saying was right. It could be her now, it could be someone else later, but why not now? Why not stop what's coming? If she has the power to do it and she has the people with her to do it, just go with it. She has people backing her. She has her cousin that's been with her the entire time. And I love that the next thing that she does is eat and fast. Realizing and committing what she's going to be walking in, she continues to just empty herself out and put her faith in God, the God that can move mountains, the God that calms seas, and the God that redeems. You guys, our lives don't always promise peace like we think, but through him it is to provide the peace that we need. And after agreeing and doing the fast, I can't imagine how hard that must have been at that point. Because not only were you afraid as she was afraid as it was before, now she's afraid and hungry. <laughs> but this is necessary. Because the best that God can use you is when you're at your end. And all you have is your faith and trust in him. So, why this passage that I chose tonight? Well, let's bring it home. What has God put before you guys? Where has God put you guys in your lives? Is it in your work, your home, your school? What is God put in front of you that's ripe for harvest or soil that's ready to plant? And I won't lie, it's hard to think about these questions and question like whether or not to do the thing that God's called you to do, especially when you feel enough to do it. Satan plays with your soul like strings on a harp, but as you notice as you surrender more of yourself to God and what he has for you, there's actually a little bit more pain, <laughs> if I've noticed. But here's the special part. There's a peace that's unexplainable. As I'm preparing, as I'm doing and walking in what the Lord wants me to do, I get scared all the time. But, and I can feel the enemy attacking my heart, but there's also a peace that goes with it. And I can know that's from the Lord. It's like a barrier that's keeping me from going, like being pricked too hard or whatever. And it's beautiful. Staying and fighting for the people that God has put in your life takes just as much courage as going off to the mission field. And that is what Esther was promoted here to do. She was asked to stay and fight for the people that she was in control of. Esther rose quickly to a place of authority so that God can save his people of a doom. She put her life on the line. She was afraid. She didn't even know she would make it to the king to mention these words of the plot of execution. And that was a real life issue. She said earlier on that if you enter in the king's palace without permission, you're done on the spot. So it was a miracle in itself, or was it, that she, the, the king held out a scepter. God was with her to the whole time. And that's what's really cool about the story of Esther. Well, you might ask, how do I find strength to do this? It's a little backwards thinking. It's surrender. Less of yourself means more of God. And honestly, that is what I found in my life, is that the process of you surrendering more of yourself to God, what you want to do, God actually creates you to be the person that you wanted to be all along, and that God wanted to create you to be all along as well. We have so much that has been given to us in these 66 books of the Bible, and people speaking into our lives like Mordecai. There's nothing we should be afraid of. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you all tonight, <laughs> for often my heart runs with that same fear. But... When my heart is full of fear, I know to run to the Father every time, even though I'd rather find safety in some other way. So what happens to Esther as the story continues? Well, much of you guys might know that Esther does go to the king and carries out what uh, Mordecai said to her. And he, she is received well. The king holds out his scepter, and she tells him of the plot of what Haman's going to do, and in the face of the Haman, actually. And as she does that, the king orders Haman to be hung for the crimes that he was committing against the people. And he was hanged on the same gallows that he made for Mordecai. However, due to Persian rule, whatever is said and signed by the signet cannot be overturned. So the decree had already been gone out for the Jews to be wiped out at this point. And you couldn't, he couldn't overturn it. He couldn't even do it as the king. So the king issued forth another decree, giving the authority to defend for the Jews to defend themselves 
from whom the people would ever attack. And to commemorate this day, the Feast of Purim was enacted. And many of the people did still get attacked on that day, but they also had the power to defend themselves because of what the king decreed. As the story continued, continues, Mordecai would receive the highest honors, being second in rank to the king, and would continue to look out for his people. And for Esther, well, interesting thing I found when I was going through this, we read a lot about her stepson, actually, Artaxerxes. So looking at all the Persian kings, the four ones that are mentioned in scriptures are Cyrus, Darius, Ahaxerxes, and Artaxerxes. Those last two are really hard to say. (laughs) But we know that Artaxerxes and his plan, we know Cyrus, because he's mentioned in Daniel, but Artaxerxes was the king that would allow Ezra and his own cupbearer, Nehemiah, to go back to Jerusalem. And I just thought that was really cool that Esther, the stepmom, or Artaxerxes was the stepson of Esther, which you can't help but think, like, Esther probably had a huge role to play in that as well. So not only did she play a role in saving her people of a doom that was going to happen in her own city, but she had a, a way in actually serving her people that would later rebuild Jerusalem. And that is why I wanted to talk about this passage tonight. It's a beautiful, beautiful one. It talks about a fear of what could happen no matter what you are in the situation you were placed to. I mean, Esther rose to authority quickly. <laughs> and she got put into a position quickly. And she got called by God just as quickly. But throughout this whole entire book, even though God's name is not mentioned once, you see his hand play out through the whole thing. And it is so, so beautiful. So to close this out, the one thing I would like to implore is whatever God is saying for you guys to do, just do it. Don't miss out on bringing glory to the King of Kings. He can always raise up another, but he has set you aside to enjoy this moment with him. I mean, how beautiful is that? That we have such a personal God that is willing to do that for us. I say none other but our Lord God who saves and redeems, who sent his son to pave a way to give a helper in spirit so we would never be alone again. And I know that was really fast. (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) So I'll close this out. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this book. Thank you so much for all the books that we have. Um, Thank you so much that you were with us day in and day out in our lives. And I pray your blessing over this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.